0: tense negotiations, and the pressures of closing, while also getting insights on how to best navigate the public markets.
1: Welcome back to the Insider's Guide to Finance podcast. My name is Maddie, Marketing Manager here at Creative Return. And today, I sit down with your usual host, Corey, to discuss the year 2022. In the episode, we reflect on the past year, milestones we hit, big wins, lessons we learned, and we also share our outlook for the year to come. Another thing we talk about are some noteworthy podcast guests and what we took away from those interviews. I hope you enjoy the episode and let's get into it. It's good to be on this side of the camera. It's interesting.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> it's, you know what? I look back on it and like we crossed 100 episodes this year. And like, what a time, what an experience it's been. So uh, yeah, I guess the first thing I got to say is like, if you want to start a podcast, do it, but I'm going to step back where, how do you want to take this? Where do you want the questions to go?
1: Well, like you said, we did hit 100 episodes. It was a pretty big year, 2022, kind of what was the process like getting here? And did you ever think we would hit 100 episodes?
0: Yeah. Podcasting has been like, it's such a double-edged sword. The relationships that have come from it, the listeners that have reached out and shared their positive comments about how the content we're diving into is really helping them, has been like, it's awesome. It's a beautiful thing. But this is, I mean, we're very proud to have Olympia as a sponsor, but this is a passion project. This is a lot of work. And there's probably been a half dozen times where I've been ready to throw in the towel. And to Suze, our, you know, our other colleague and partner, She's thrown down the gauntlet, or, you know, the gauntlet or however you want to say it and said, no, you're not quitting. Keep going. So crossing the hundred was a really, really cool milestone. Tons of remarkable relationships came from it. But, you know, back to the process, the process is just, it becomes a discipline. It becomes a practice, like going to the gym. And I think we've, you know, we've gotten better at that process and that practice as a team, but it's been a lot of work.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, we've been working together now for almost a year and a half. I joined with the podcast and helping you out back in April. So I haven't been doing the podcast that long, but it definitely is quite a bit of work. And I think working together on the podcast is different than how we work together with our clients or some of our other projects. I think it's Mm. almost a different dynamic.
0: Well, it's a different beast in itself. And, you know, I think there's a creative element to it, but then also I think this discipline of having to keep within the lane. Like, who are we speaking to and why are we speaking to that audience? And I think, you know, to my discredit, I always want to just like branch out and talk to anybody. But the end point is like we've got an audience and they're coming to us because we hit on very specific topics in the world of financing and building companies and, you know, really specifically financing. So, yeah, it's neat, but I think there's an artistic, element where I come at it, which sometimes needs to be reined in (laughs) as you're nodding your head. So yeah.
1: I guess you mentioned relationships and the relationships you've built with people. Can you speak to those and kind of what they mean to you?
0: Yeah. I don't want this to come across as like kind of opportunistic or anything like that, but I remember talking to somebody many, many years ago and they said, you know, the best thing is, is people love talking about themselves, and so when you start to engage in a podcast, you get people talking about themselves, and you know, it's up to them about how humble they want to be and how or who they are in a, in a character. But in asking those questions and really trying to inquire about who they are, that's where the relationships are built, right? right. And so those relationships have also been really, I mean, they've they've allowed me to. And us to expand and really start to take things from that in the form of like credibility for the work we do, in the form of a value like provision. Like for me, I love being able to just reach out to somebody, you know, even people who are incredibly successful, run multi billion dollar companies, and just be able to send them a note of, say, hey, I think you should introduce, or I think you should know this person, or did you see this? And so that, I don't know, that's just fulfilling in itself. And, you know, it's not related to what the relationships mean to me so far as, you know, building kind of like a personal relationship, but an interview dynamic and kind of as a, I don't know, I don't know if you'd call me a professional, but, (laughs) but being, I've started to venture to ask more difficult questions or more questions that perhaps other interviewers won't ask. And, you know, I think one of the, I don't know if it was in 20, I think it was 2021 or 2022. Anyways, it was, it's in the list of 100, 120 or so, but we sat down with Lucas Lundin, the late Lucas Lundin who passed this year. And in that interview, we didn't talk about the Lundin group, you know, 20 some billion dollar organization. We didn't talk about really the markets or that. We talked about him as a character about who he was and who he is. And one of the questions I asked was, can you tell me about your health struggles? And his answer, and I I encourage everyone to go listen to that episode because his answer was so indicative of the kind of entrepreneur he was. For those who don't know, he passed away of brain cancer this year. And that was his illness that I asked about. But his response was, it's an irrelevant issue. I've got bigger things to do. Like, it's just it's just another obstacle. I don't really care. And it wasn't as though he was glazing over it in a way of just, it was just his personality and that kind of tenacity as an entrepreneur. So, you know, maybe looking at that, the relationships there are of like what they mean, I think it's interesting to be able to bring these kind of conversations out. And for me, I've gained the confidence to start asking questions like that, to ask about somebody's life-threatening health issues which ultimately, unfortunately, took his life. But yeah, I think we can learn a lot from it. So yeah, perhaps a long winded answer, but it's been really neat.
1: No, and it's cool to see all the relationships kind of form over time, like from the initial email to when we published their episode. And I think you do a great job of making people feel comfortable when you hit record of... And the reason they don't mind answering those hard questions is because I think you ask them in like a respectful way, you make them feel comfortable. And they're like, okay, yeah, let me open up a little bit more.
0: Hmm. There's been a few episodes we didn't publish or we haven't published over the years. One of them is actually an experience we should talk about. We won't mention names, but the incident is worth talking about. But it hasn't always been that case because there's like, for example, I wanted to inquire about somebody in their past history and a deal they were a part of that was quite, you know, let's just say it had some hair on it. It wasn't the cleanest thing. Anyway, he got right terse about it right away and we we're just like, this isn't gonna work. So that one didn't publish. But yeah, it's I don't know, I guess it's just part of just being curious.
1: Yeah, and I think as well, just growth over doing the interviewing over a hundred people. I mean, obviously mm-hmm. you're not gonna be the same as you were episode one versus episode one hundred. And I mean if you go back and listen to those early episodes I do feel like you do come across more confident and you can, oh, you can nice. feel that.
0: <laughs> oh. <laughs> that's awesome. Well I guess that's what happens. It is what happens so. Yeah.
1: So should we talk about kind of some noteworthy guests or that incident that occurred this past year?
0: Yeah, let's start with that incident because I want to paint a picture and, and it just for me I want to share it as for us as a culture as a company like you know we're a tight little company but for background and context for listeners, we had a guest on who, you know, no names, and I do want to kind of try to speak in, in broad enough terms that we don't start to allude to who the person is, but they came on and all things indicated that the individual was, it was just a little, how would you say, like, how would you explain kind of their online presence? And perhaps there's another thing to speak to there, but how would you explain their online presence that started to get our our hairs up?
1: Wow. <laughs> again, not naming names or don't want to give anything away. Yeah. So I remember looking at his social profiles and he had a YouTube channel and I love YouTube personally. I love getting to know people and kind of go behind the scenes of their life. And there was just something a little off. It was very showy. There was, you know, a lot of Lambos and fancy cars, fancy accessories. And I was just kind of like, who is this guy?
0: Hmm. Yeah, it was that. And And then also, like, you know, there was a when you start to look at the companies also like a really disjointed kind of brand presence and the names of the companies, you know, one wouldn't kind of like stack up with the other. And I think, you know, the reason why I bring that up also, I just want to digress on that when we think about brand presence and we think about investors perception of companies and they just don't see a continuity of that brand it gets them just a you know, it's almost, I, I don't know if it's subconscious, but it just gets them questioning maybe the integrity of the company or something like that. But back to this individual, the online presence was just a little sketchy. And anyway, the individual's on the show. And to their credit, they spoke very, very intelligently about the world of crypto and cryptocurrency and trading and things like this. I was really quite surprised. But then Maybe it was before we. Oh no, it was after we were potentially going to publish. We got an email, but the thing was, is as as a team, we sat down and said, "Well, to your and Susan's credit, you said I don't think we should publish this." And I said, "Like you know, why not?" I mean, it spoke really intelligent. Like like just let's get it out. Progress over perfection. And you and Susanna overruled me on that, and so. I'm very happy you did because from the agency that connected us with that individual, we got an email a few months later saying that that individual is being, and those organizations were being investigated by the SEC. And so, yeah, that was, I think it was a very cool time for us as a team and having that kind of dialogue. And then also maybe from a credibility standpoint, a bit of a dodge bullet.
1: Yeah, I'd say so. I definitely think us doing our due diligence and kind of following that gut feeling. It was really cool. And at the time, yeah, you were like, well, let's just publish it. Like, you know, we're on the road to 100. It'll get us there quicker. But I think for us, we want to be publishing episodes that people will find valuable from credible people. Like, I think it's cool when, when we do interviews and you know, maybe you get an email or a call from somebody and they're like, hey, I listened to that episode because I followed this person on LinkedIn. That's the yes. kind of people we want to yeah. be featuring on our yeah, show. Yeah, that's
0: very true. And, you know, and it almost like it undermines, what well, you know, think, I think when it comes to the, the journalistic integrity, which, I mean, this is a podcast, but in a way it's a form of journalism. And I mean, you've got the journalism background. So, yeah, I think that that was a good point. Perhaps I was too wrapped up because I was impressed with how this individual spoke in and around the crypto space and articulated it. I mean, very intelligent. But, you know, there was other things that made you and Sue's uncomfortable. So yeah, a good experience. Great experience. Yeah, definitely. Other guests. Yeah.
1: I'd say other guests for me, one that stood out for sh- sure was Mogans. It was his second right. time on the show. I really liked listening to him and his views on... Loyalty among your team, and how I think he mentioned like they've never laid off anybody at fault mm. built. Um, yeah. And I just thought the way he leads his team was incredible because you don't get too many leaders like that nowadays.
0: Yeah. Mogens is awesome. He's a huge inspiration. His first episode we did with him, the title of that episode was Chicken Shit CEOs. And as a CEO who's been, like considers himself the most fired CEO, the fireable, most fireable CEO because he's been through hell and back with his businesses. But as a, a remarkable businessman who's grown, you know, multiple hundred million dollar, multi hundred million dollar businesses. So yeah, that's definitely his first and second episodes are high on my list. The second episode, what what really hit home with me was I asked him about loyalty because I've been burnt in you know being too loyal or trying to build loyalty with people around me and had you know and and you get burnt at times and one of the things that Mogan said was he's got a you know kind of a wrinkle on his head like it's a shape of like a little x or a little m and his wife says you know what that is that's a mark that's a mark for people who take advantage of me like he's like I believe so much in loyalty that people just it happens but there's a cost benefit there in in essence. And yeah, it was an awesome episode. So huge. Who else? Somebody for me, Nick Biak. And I think he's probably high on your list too. In fact, you suggested bring him on. Calgary Entrepreneur. He's built a payments company. Helsium. What I really liked about Nick was he's building a company that he bootstrapped for the last 12 years. I think or like a long time and recently raised $16 million. But the point being is I think that he's playing the slow game. And I think that's very much, you know, contradicts what a lot of people want to do, but it's paying off because it looks like he's got a really, really compelling company, a great team, a great culture. I think it's a great example of the Calgary and Alberta tech ecosystems being able to bring really good people together. But he's done this not over, you know, three or four years, but over now over a decade for one company. So my hat's off to him.
1: Yeah Nick's episode was really great, and one of the reasons I did want him to come on the show was just because he is based in Calgary, his' companies in Calgary. and then I think this city has a lot to offer. So anytime we get the chance to promote a local entrepreneur or business owner, I think that's amazing, because I'm based out of Calgary. you have roots in Calgary as well. So yeah, it's kind of that personal connection.
0: Yeah, yeah, good one. Who else? I have to say, I mean, every interview has an impact. And yeah, but so it's it's hard not to speak to all of them. I'll speak to Sean Usmars, who came on, who's the founder and CEO of Triple Flag Precious Metals. So it's a royalty and streaming company. He's a former CFO of Barrick Barrick Gold, been in the resource industry all his life, and has a very interesting story about how Triple Flag came to be. But one of the things, and this is an interesting side note, is like off record, he shared with me why he named it Triple Flag, and it's because each one of his kids has been born in a different country because of his career that's taken him all over the world with him and his wife. And so Triple Flag represents the three countries they are born in, I think it was Canada, the UK, and South Africa. And in that, I think that there's, it's very, to me, very indicative of a leader who's looking to build a legacy and not just promote a deal for a quick hit. And he is, he's building a very real royalty and streaming company that I think will become one of the largest out there. So that was an interesting interview for me.
1: Yeah, it was great to build a relationship there and get to know Triple Flag Precious Metals and and learn all about that. I don't know much about that industry. So listening to this episode and kind of giving me the insight was really interesting. An industry yeah. I do know a bit about though is hockey in the NHL. Okay. Yes. And we interviewed Aaron Volpatty, former Vancouver Canucks player. Was it November? I think we interviewed him.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. That was a good one. I enjoyed hearing his story and kind of how he, you know, junior hockey, college hockey, he was like, I'm not going to play in the NHL. He's like, my time's gone. And then all of a sudden, you know, there he is in the big leagues.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You know, what was interesting about that one is like, I mean, I'm not a huge sports fan. So like sitting down, I'm like, you know, so what's it like on the hockey pitch? Like what the hell? <laughs> Obviously, what's it like on the ice? But when he talked about his position and the culture there, and and his need to be on the ice as an enforcer, and the psychological toll that started taking on him, it really was uh, to me interesting to start to to think about the pressures that you know high performing athletes are under. And in one sense, he said that for the first two years of being part of the Canucks. He didn't know if he was going to be sent home every time he'd show up at the ice. It was like, you're kind of going to cash corner, seeing if you're going to dress up or not, or, you know, suit up or whatever, put on your pads kind of thing.
1: (laughs) Tie the skates.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Tie up your skates. The other side of it though, was when he was, and he, you know, he got the letter saying, yeah, okay, you're on the team full time, go find a home. That, you know, as he was every game, you know, two or three times a week, he'd get on the ice. And not knowing if he was going to, or like, well, knowing that he was going to have to fight and, you know, dropping your gloves and going bare knuckle with another guys. It just, it doesn't leave your head. And that started to infiltrate his life off the ice. And so I don't think any of us think about that. And, and the pressures of, of just in the dynamics of, of sports. So to me, that was pretty interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree. We see them. And I mean, we're watching the games for entertainment, right? Whenever you go to a hockey game, people drop the gloves. People freak out. People get yeah. so excited, but we don't think about, oh, what's going through this guy's head when he gets off the ice after his fight. So yeah. it, it was yeah. cool to kind of see the insider perspective on that.
0: Yeah, yeah, it was. I mean, I had no idea, so that was cool. And you know, and in the the questions like, so what does that have to do with finance, though? And here's where Aaron is at now. And so I want to bring it back to the insider's guide to finance, and why I was like, this is actually an interesting opportunity to to interview him is he's now focused on visualization coaching and helping people, you know, high performance athletes and even executives overcome obstacles in their lives through visualization. And through, you know, through his, the injury or the accident that he had, visualization became like the tool he used. And what I've said before to clients and to other people is, you know, for example, when you're going to raise capital, You need to visualize that room before you walk into it. So when you're in there, you've already been there. You own that room. You have, If you're pitching for money or if you're just even raising awareness for your company or your deal, there's a kind of confidence and a presence there that it's highly valuable. But if you walk into a room and you're uncomfortable because you haven't anticipated or thought through what's going to happen and how it's going to go, you're kind of... Every time you're entering it, you know, in the dark. And so his work with visualization and, and you know the connection to being an outstanding corporate athlete, I think it is really interesting.
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think it's been said on the podcast a few times, but you can't go into the boardroom and wing it. You just can't.
0: Mm, so Yeah. I mean it's practice kind of thing and preparation. And it has been said a few times, but I mean I got my start working with an individual who could. And I mean, he did his best work in the 11th hour or just winging it in front of a crowd. And it was incredible. I mean, it really was in the ability to invigorate interest and ultimately investment in deals. So not everybody can do that. I think it's a bit of a superpower, but that's perhaps that's for another story another time.
1: Well, no, I think on that note, like, did you take anything away from the individual? Like what did you learn from them that you apply still to this day?
0: Yeah, that was really, that was my MBA into the world of finance and the world of narrative development and putting together story and hitches that would be able to, one, bring capital in and two, support a market from an investor relations side and really build the interest and the excitement in a deal that helps bring it to the next level. And so what did I take from that? I took from that the understanding of putting together a story structure around even an investment pitch. And then I took from that how in early stage companies, a pitch deck, the pitch deck becomes the business plan for the entire organization. And the words that are said in front of investors are the same words that should be said to the company, to the team, in the sense of like, here's the problem. Here's how we're going after it. This is why we're doing it. And the other part to that, too, is that when pitching and when building interest in a deal, emotion trumps logic. And so if you're leading a team of people and you come at it with all the logic in the world, people are not going to be inspired. Whereas if you come with that from an emotional angle and there is an origin story or there's you know a very compelling reason, a compelling problem, that's the path. And that's something I learned that was just, I don't know. I mean, it's I guess it's how I... I butter my bread now is is from that experience.
1: I think that's awesome. And it carries over into the podcast as well. Like we're telling people stories. We're telling the stories of individuals, of companies. So I think it's cool that you've kind of carried that and it's even evolved a little bit to Mm. mold around the podcast. Yeah, and
0: you know what? That's actually a good point. I didn't think about that. In the preparation for each podcast, the research I do, I try to with the questions actually create a bit of a storyline. Like I just don't want to go and just ask random question after random question. If we can get into and, and almost follow a higher or excuse me, not a hierarchy, how do you say like a timeline of events, you know, take us from your early career through and how did that inform the next stage, the next stage, the next stage? That's how I try to structure the podcast and the questions and lead through that way. It doesn't always work. Sometimes, you know, we, you know, I break from the path there and just Get a little too inquisitive, but anyway, yeah, I think the takeaway, back to your question, what I learned from that experience and, and what we do now is very much in around the power of putting together solid narratives and then maintaining and consistently telling that story, so people are familiar and they you build conviction with investors and and both you know in private and public companies.
1: Well, great! I think talking about guests has been really fun, and yeah, we met a lot of cool people this past year learned a lot. And we also learned from, I'd say a couple mistakes. We did try to rebrand the podcast earlier this year in the spring. Yes. Can we talk about that a little bit? I just want to say like, what the hell were we thinking?
0: So yes, for those who have seen, I mean, some of our listeners may have seen for a while, we're going with the insider's guide to business. And so how to answer this, I think there's a couple of points And I mean, we're a small company, right? Like, you know, you think we'd be impervious to the kind of things that like, you know, large companies find themselves in. And that's kind of scope creep or getting, losing your lane, kind of thinking that you can do more or you should do more versus just doubling down on what works. And so, yeah, we went down to the insider's guide to business path. I'm going to partially blame the fact that we had a really big year personally for my wife and I, we had our first kid. We moved provinces, bought a new home, reno's this, that. Business was busy. We you know, had our trials and tribulations there. And when I look back on it, I hadn't had a vacation. Like I can't remember the last time I had a vacation, maybe five years or something like that. And so when I look at it, partially I want to blame the lack of quality of the decisions I was making. As you know, as a leader there, and so I think that that partially pushed me out to say, "Oh, let's go do this Insider's Guide business with the idea of broadening the scope of who we're speaking to, and being able to build, you know, to talk about you know more topics there." But with that, I mean, the dilution of the content we were creating, and you know, not actually speaking to the core purpose of why we created this, why people reach out to us and say thank you for doing this, was lost and. We had somebody who came in with some high, high promises and that proved to be one excuse after another. And so that was, yeah, mistakes were made. And, you know, I mean, what's the cost of those mistakes? Everybody makes mistakes. I don't think we should be afraid of that. But yeah, I think if anything, I'm going to chalk it up in a way to just really the quality decision making was very poor. And I think it was partially due to just, frankly, exhaustion, (laughs) lack of sleep and way too many things going on. So I don't know, off record and like kind of internally, I've tried to, you know, apologize to everybody for doing it in so many different ways. Because yeah, I think that, you know, I was like, ah, but live and learn.
1: Yeah, it was a good learning experience. And I think because when I started helping out with the podcast, we had kind of switched to the Insider's Guide to Business. It was pretty early. Mm. when I had joined in. So for the first little bit, I only really knew it as Insider's Guide to Business. And then when we we moved it back to finance, just the shift and the interactions that we have with people, I just think it's so much, it's so different. Because business, Mm. it it was so broad. And I just feel like we weren't connecting with people the way we do now.
0: Mm. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting observation. Because I feel the same.
1: Yeah, it was interesting. It's been cool to see the podcast evolve over the past year. And in the short amount of time that I've been doing it, I feel like we've come so far. And so for 2023, what's in store for us?
0: What's in store? So yeah, knowing our lane now, really what I'm excited for is increasing the volume of podcasts and volume of episodes. And with the people we're, fo- or we're going to be speaking to and, you know, going down that finance vein, talking with people about, you know, financing structures, let's use Sean Usmar. You know, I asked him, like, how did you structure set up that deal? Like, so he was approached by, I believe, a private equity and, you know, when he was still CFO of Barrick and they said, we think you should do this. And he took that meeting. Well, what was the value of that meeting? Well, it's made him worth, up, you know, worth now a few hundred million dollars. But what was the thought process? So I want to have more interviews like that. And so that when I picture 2023, uh, discussions in and around that vein, or you know, just how to properly finance, how to navigate a recession, how to engage investors. I sat down with a gentleman the other day for lunch, and we talked about from his experience who in investor relations and investor relations for multi-billion dollar companies. And he talked about the sell side of the market. And how investment bankers are undervalued and overly criticized for just being, you know, being fee takers, for raising capital laws. Whereas if you actually build relationships with them and keep them in as partners, how valuable that is to company development. I mean, those kind of conversations are things that CEOs and IR pros need to hear. And so that's what I'm looking forward to. So the goal we'll see if we can hold me to this, is going to be 52 episodes for the year.
1: I think that's a great goal. I think we can do it.
0: Nice. Yeah, nice. You know what? I want to get your take, Maddie. I mean, we came into this, and at first, I mean, when this started, it was just myself, but now we've got, we're starting to build a small team of people to support with actually building up the podcast and the process. For you, how has that been to see us develop the processes? And, like, kind of what are you learning from this?
1: Building out the processes has been amazing. You know me, I love lists. I like things kind of being laid out like a solid concrete plan. So building that out has been actually like incredible. And it's like, we always come back to this plan because it works. And Mm. again, like it's just, it's so fun doing the podcast and like I have a great time doing it and staging the episodes. And it's always so fun to send the episode off to the guest and say, Yeah, your episode is live. Like, here it is on our website, here it is on LinkedIn. It's just it's so much fun. I'm having Hmm. a blast.
0: Nice. You know, like we've just gone through and the reason why I want to share this for the listeners is like when you look at content production, it's so valuable. And I'm gonna share an example. I reached out to a CEO, which we're pitching, and I started just kind of flapping my gums about the credibility that i have or you know that right that we have as an organization this is what we've done and you know we think we could do this for you and he just stopped me he said listen you you don't have to tell me anymore i've i know who you speak to on the podcast i've listened to a couple episodes so like quit trying to sell me so i was like (laughs) i was a little bit taken back i was like oh oh shit okay i'm starting this is early on in the podcast but i'm like i started to see the value of it now why I share that in the podcast now is for anybody looking at their content strategy for investor relations or for customer development. It's almost the value is going to come, I think, or the scalability of doing it is going to come and really nailing down solid processes that can be followed rigorously. And the reason why I share this is because early on when I was trying to do this, it was so difficult when you're just scrambling to kind of grab pieces. But now that we've got to a point where everything's pretty much down on a checklist step-by-step step, and we're able to send it off to the people we have to do part of the production work, it's becoming much more scalable. Like we'll actually be able to, we could pump through tons of episodes next year if we want. But yeah, so I think the final point to that is, is the in and around the process work we've done. It's a big upfront investment, and, but it needs to be done. And so, yeah, I think that's when it comes to content production or really anything. I mean, keep that as top of mind. Almost it's like second in the strategy. What are you going to talk about and how are we going to put a process around it?
1: Yeah, for sure. I mean, like we have so much content just for the podcast alone. And we had all these ideas and without a process, honestly, like none of it's going to get done regardless of Mm -hmm. what industry you're in or what type of content it is. If you don't have a solid plan behind it. It's really going to go nowhere. So taking the time and yeah, like you said, it is a big investment, especially like your time and going back and forth, collaborating, but in the end, it's worth it because you get to send your content out. You get it in front of the right people and then, you know, leads and more sales can come from
0: that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's an investment that leads to value creation, you know, and just as you're saying that, I started thinking about some of our past guests. Jay Martin comes to mind, who's created a a remarkable content machine. And YouTube has just taken off for him. And then he's also got the conference company. And then next was Jeff Desjardins from Visual Capitalist, all content. And Jeff is killing it, absolutely killing it with Visual Capitalist. But it comes down to producing content on a regular basis that people are engaging with and all that content if you think about it for just a company alone is valuable to people who are buying into what you're doing from an investment side or a customer side so anyways i think (laughs) i'm gonna shut up before i like just over talk and over pump content production but it's been nice to finally be able to walk the talk for us in actually putting these processes together and yeah it's been good Something else I just want to point out and I'm excited about for you, Maddie, is we convinced you to do the Canadian Securities Course, the CSE, CSI. And anybody who's in the business, in the public market business, or goes to be you know, an investment advisor, they have to do that. I don't know if that's in your career path, but I'm so thrilled that you're doing it. So yeah, how's it going for you?
1: It's been great, actually. I haven't been a student for a while, so it's fun to kind of set aside time to study and It's actually very interesting stuff. You know, you might, when you think about financing, it might be like, oh, like this is kind of dull, but like the investment world and the stock exchange. And I think especially now, kind of with the way the world is headed after the pandemic and everything, we're living in the post-pandemic world, it's so important to understand your finances and Mm. options you have when it comes to investing and even the economy, because this is going to make me sound stupid, but I mean, I'm always just like, who woke up and decided that the Canadian dollar sucks? Who decided that, (laughs) you know, we can't go to America without spending a fortune, you know? And I just, I didn't understand it. So taking this course has been eye-opening so far. I'm still in the early stages in the beginning, but I've already learned so much.
0: Nice. Yeah, it's fascinating. I mean, it's just like, when you look from a macro side, macroeconomics and the macro outlook, and, you know, the US dollar over the Canadian dollar and the movement of capital, that's I mean, it, like, it's a broad, broad topic set. And then you bring it all the way down to the micro set where, okay, how are you financing? How are you financing in a recessionary market? What stories what companies actually have a chance of getting money in different markets? So you know, I'm glad you're doing it. I think that's going to be valuable for you. So. And that's cool. And you know, I don't know if you're going to be an investment advisor ever, but for the work we're doing, it's definitely applicable.
1: Yeah. And I think especially we're being the insider's guide to finance, it's going to be nice to kind of have a hold on the information and to be able to talk the talk myself and there you go. kind of cat- catch up with you and Sue's.
0: <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I know I dated myself when we did a quiz because there's a difference now when you've got, you know, you kind of your your front of house, your back of house, and like, you know, the the separation between investment banking and your analysts or and, you know, and the brokerage and the sales side. And the question was something along the lines of like, what do they call the separation? I'm like, Oh, it's a Chinese wall. And now apparently that's not PC anymore. So now it's just called a firewall. But yeah, anyway, dated the- myself there. But
1: Or the section about a cryptocurrency. And I think you were like, we were still using phone books when I took this course.
0: Yes, we were. So yeah, (laughs) I guess that's what almost 20 years between us does.
1: I guess so. But yeah, I guess on that note, talking about like finances and the economy, 2023, do you have an outlook for it? And how do you feel about the new year?
0: I've got no outlook for it. I mean, you could bring five economists into a room and to get their opinions, and you're going to be left with seven different opinions. Like it just every headline. It seems like if it bleeds, it leads. It's talking about recessions coming, we're a crash, crash, crash. And the only thing that I keep going back to is, regardless of, and I think of this as you know, as both a company and as an individual. Okay, be a little bit more conservative and keep your eye out for opportunity because it's in times like this that real money is made. And so, I think that I'm not concerned about the outlook so much as being conservative and maintaining, you know, maintaining that outreach to ensure that like we're always moving forward and then we'll bob and weave from a, as a company perspective. When it comes to actual companies in the market, I think the only, excuse me, not the only, but I think that something that is highly important and of course I'm pumping my own book here is but you have to maintain your market presence. And so from an investor relations and investor marketing side, if all of your peers are radio silent and you are as well, when the market does turn, who's going to get those dollars? It becomes like a mad dash and you've got to invest a crazy amount to try to get those interested dollars into your, to buy your story. Whereas if you continually and consistently maintain your presence in the market even in hard times and deliver a good story and show that you're doing what you said you would do the investment is worth it and you'll build that audience that everybody else wish they had when times turn around and hell i mean like the average recession lasts i don't know it's not measured in multiple years it's measured in a year and a half or two whatever that is so it's not a long period of time so i think from an outlook standpoint hey maybe it's gonna suck but We'll have a fun time living through it.
1: Yeah. Me collecting my bottles for the Bottle Depot. <laughs> no I, like, I feel like you say that, like
0: you're almost like prepping. Like you're really scared, but don't worry, it. We'll get through it.
1: Like a, a little bit of a doomsday. I mean, I was only... How old was I in 2008? I would have been 13. So this is kind of like... Mm. I've never gone through like anything like that. And I know I don't think we're headed to 2008 levels, but... I mean, for me who just recently bought a house and moved in in February, like I'm kind of like, what the heck do I do?
0: Yeah. You know, I think 2008 was pretty wild. Like I do remember looking at the stock charts and when I was like, I was just kind of newly minted out of school and had my first job in finance. And it was pretty wild to see (laughs) like, holy shit. People were like, this hasn't happened in our timeline before, right? Or really in, in a lot of people's careers. But the time now is a bit different. I mean, inflation has created a kind of dynamic that I don't think we're used to because many generations, a lot of like our, our generation and younger have not seen inflation like our parents did. And so I think it's just going to, we're going to have to go to some old playbooks to see how to navigate it. And I truly believe that this is, it just means opportunity is coming.
1: Well, that's a good way to look at it. I like your perspective better than mine.
0: <laughs> there you go. So, quit picking up bottles, Maddie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I had a great time reminiscing about 2022 and just chatting with you and kind of planning and seeing where we're going to go for 2023. I'm excited about the podcast. I'm excited where it will go and opportunities that are to come.
0: Yeah. Yeah, me too. I feel incredibly fortunate. Like, it's just, I take so much pride in being a good partner to our clients. And that's been reflected back, and I say, take so much pride in the conversations we have and, and hearing people reach out and knowing that it's valuable to them. And so yeah, it's going to be a good year.
1: It's going to be a great year.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of The Insider's Guide to Finance. If you enjoyed what you heard, please share this with your friends and colleagues so they can benefit as well. You can also subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or the Play Store. Your support there is really appreciated. For future episodes, if there's a question, topic, or specific person you'd like me to interview, feel free to reach out. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or through my website at creativereturn.ca.